Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Christina Jones Davis. Welcome, Dr. Davis. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you for agreeing to come back. Uh, we did this earlier and we had some uh, some technical difficulties, but I thank you for being gracious enough to uh, lend your time uh, to do this again, because I believe it's very important. For those who don't know who you are, can you give a, just a little bit of background? Sure. So as you mentioned, my name is Christina Jones Davis, and I'm currently serving as the clinic director and as faculty of pastoral care and counseling at CTS, Christian Theological Seminary here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I've come to this work by way of first uh, a call to ministry, and um, when I went to seminary, I, I knew that I wanted to preach the gospel, but I also knew that I wanted to help really had some life difficulties that may need more one-on-one um, -on -one attention, more in-depth work, and so I coupled um, that with being trained as a mental health um, licensed marriage and family therapist is my licensure. So I got my training in both. And, and to this day, I enjoy combining them, working with both um, spirituality, mental health. I see that they go together very well. And um, I, I, I enjoy integrating that in my work with people. That's awesome. And I think what you do is very important and vital to our community, especially um, along with uh, all other other communities, but uh, my deep passion for our own community and you taking the time to uh, invest back into us, I think is amazing. Um, why is sometimes talking about mental health or mental illness so taboo in um, our community specifically, but just uh, our nation in general? Yeah, I think what happens in African-American communities Needs is that we have come by our uh, difficulty in talking about this very honestly. Um, when we think about mental health, I think we also have to, at the same time, think about healthcare in general. And healthcare in general has come with its long legacy of um, really some poor treatment, mistreatment of African Americans. Um, we know about the Tuskegee cases. We know about, um, you know, the sterilization of African-American women without consent. There are warranted reasons for which um, there can be some uh, leeriness about uh, both mental illness and mental health care. And so I think we've got to um, and address people's need for um, building that trust and having trusted providers um, established. So the other thing is, this sense of resilience that's really wonderful in African-American communities. Um, we, I think, have had to be very tough-minded, be very um, resourceful. We've had to kind of overcome a lot without a lot of support from mental health uh, providers. And so now that we get help, I think it's sometimes learning that we don't have to carry all these things 
by ourselves. When we have our emotional distress or burdens, um, we don't have to always do it ourselves. There are people out there to help us. And in fact, vulnerability is its own um, form of strength, right? We don't often think about vulnerability as something that makes us strong. But in fact, I have learned it is harder oftentimes to ask for help than it is to try to grit and bear it on, on one's own. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful. I, I think I'm a I'm a quote you on Twitter uh, uh, for that one. <laughs> Vulnerability is its own uh, form of strength because I think that is so true. And so many times we're trying to just get through um, because mm-hmm. we think you know you just have to get through it. But to be vulnerable is to be strong in a sense. I think that that just that statement alone can be freeing for so many people. Um, how do you think the Black Church? Um, specifically or black churches or the black community has talked about uh, mental illness in a way that has been damaging to people. And maybe we should, I I thought about this after we did the last one, maybe we should define mental illness uh, (laughs) for those who are listening. That's great. Yeah. I, let's talk about that first about how, how are we understanding mental illness? And I do think, um, connects with your first question um, about the taboo. And sometimes we just don't understand, right? We we formulate assumptions about what mental illness is and isn't and what it means. Um, so mental illness is oftentimes when you've got um, something that can be categorized diagnostically. Um, we have a diagnostic manual that a list of behaviors, a list of um, character. Or, I won't even say characteristics all the time. Sometimes it is, but a list of symptoms. And if you if you meet these criteria, then we have a name for what it is that um, is, is troubling you, what it is that's hurting, what it is that's painful. Um, and that sometimes helps give us some orientation about then how to address it. So uh, take, for example, if somebody has a heart condition or diabetes or whatever, they go to the doctor, right? A physical doctor will assess the symptoms. They'll give it a name and they'll say, hey, we've seen something like this before. We've studied this. We've got some proven results. Here is a treatment plan for you. It might include medication. It might not. It might include lifestyle change. It might not. But there are ways that we can then move forward and address it. And so to me, that's what we're talking about. Our brain, our mind is an organ and we've got to take care of it. And, and mental health, mental illness is what we, um, how we understand how to take care of, of our minds. Um, I think another thing to mention is that you don't have uh, a mental illness. You could still just be going through a tough time in life, right? A uh, time in which uh, mental health care or having a therapist or a counselor is really, really useful. Um, and so you don't have to even have a diagnosis to be able to say, you know, I'm grieving a loss right now and I need some support with that. And there's no shame in that, right? Uh, likewise, sometimes mental health is really fluid. We know that one in five people will experience a mental illness this year. And that doesn't mean that that one person, though, will have that same mental illness next year, right? It means that um, there are times where we encounter things. I can share my own story. Um, When I had my first child, I was diagnosed with a postpartum mood disorder. And so I knew already something was not right, but this gave a name for it. And this said, hey, there are resources out there that I could take advantage of, that I could use in um, and those were things that were 
in many ways, but could have been a lot worse, right? Had somebody not taken the time to tell me what was going on and to get the support that was needed. And so we're talking about that spectrum of things when we talk about mental health and mental illness. To your second question, right? So how does the church participate in um, talking about mental illness in ways that are helpful, not helpful? Um, yeah, I think this is common to African-American churches as well as other faith communities. Um, they're sometimes harmful, I think, interpretations of mental illness as a result of something you've done wrong, some sin, some um, lifestyle, you know, this is God punishing you. And I think that's very cool uh, way to, of understanding it, um, in part because uh, there are some uh, hereditary, there, there's a biochemistry that's involved with um, a lot of mental illness that have nothing to do, right, with whether or not um, somebody did something wrong. It has to do with, um, with genetics. There's also environmental factors, right? I think for the African-American community especially, we've got to understand that you can have the same biology but sometimes mental illness is not kind of, um, it's not uh, activated unless there's a certain set of stressors environmentally. Um, we know that economic stressors, we know that violence and being exposed to violence is a stressor. We know that all of these things impact African-Americans disproportionately. And so to blame the individual is harmful theology. And I think what we need to do is to come around them and make sure that um, they understand their options of how to get help. Um, they understand, uh, you know, we as African Americans, we tend to have less um, prevalence of most mental health uh, when we do have them. They're more chronic and more severe. And that is attributed in large part with because they're, um, we're not accessing help in as large numbers as other populations. And so uh, I think churches can be, play a huge role in connecting people to help rather than saying, uh, this is something that you're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And when I think about those external uh, 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 stressors, I think about just the traumas that we're experiencing mm -hmm. now, especially seeing violence and black and brown men getting gunned down by the police um, are triggers uh, and can and trigger a certain hope, a hopelessness in the in the minds of of people. Um, I know this wasn't a question I uh, previously uh, sent to you, but I just thought about it. Um, how is have you seen that trauma affect people and kind of change people? Just seeing how we're overly exposed sometimes with with video and can actually see, I think about the murder of Philando Castillo, like we can actually see him dying. How does that affect us? Absolutely, absolutely. There is, I think, more and more research being done about PTSD, not just as a chronic one-time event that um, you have to be directly exposed to, uh, but we're looking at it more so now that it can be a chronic accumulation of feeling unsafe and a secondary reaction to exposure to, right, whether you're first responders, whether you're ministers, whether you're therapists, but, um, or whether you're family and friends in a neighborhood or watching on, on media, is 
that, that signal to you that the world is not safe, that I am being targeted. And absolutely, as persons of color, this type of, of um, PTS-like, and in some cases PTSD, can really occur um, through that secondary accumulation of trauma. Um, and so absolutely, we've got to take that seriously. And it's Again, it's not to say that it's the individual, oh, that they have something that's kind of keratological or something weak or something that they're not doing. It's just that recognize that it is a miracle that we have made it this far and that we have been this resilient as a people. And at the same time, we've encountered and we've undergone quite kind of existence and past that uh, that it's okay to say you can get support with that, um, and you can talk about that. You need safe spaces to be able to do that. And I have had some amazingly salvific and um, cathartic and um, sanctuary-like spaces made by therapists who will say, "You don't have to consciousness um, here. You can just be and let out all of that that fear, that anger." And, and I can hold that for you as, as we work through this together. And so yeah, I think that's one source of stress that we as African-Americans really do need to be proactive and can be proactive about um, getting help with. Mm -hmm. And I love that you talked about how like counseling creates a safe space for conversation, mm -hmm. because I remember in, um, in college having a traumatic experience and not till grad school going to counseling about that and kind of unwinding all of those things and talking through it with somebody that I didn't know and a, a licensed counselor really created a healing place. And then it wasn't until like me thinking through like rereading James and him talking about confessing your faults one to another that you may be healed. And I was like, mm -hmm. it's interesting that, you know, we pray to God for forgiveness, you know, and forgiveness of sins, but you can be forgiven and not healed. And so that confession piece comes through confessing to other people, not just praying to praying to God. So preach. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Confessional. What, I love that. Uh -huh. What ways can the church facilitate or better equip or help people who are struggling with um mental illness but just just difficult times because it's not like you know like we were talking about it's not just oh this person is going through a specific illness but they might just be going through a rough time what mm -hmm. are healthy things that the church could do to help facilitate healing sure yeah i think that um and we mentioned this a little bit about prayer and you know i think prayer is Prayer still works, right? Prayer is still powerful. And I do think that that is one resource. In fact, research tells us that persons who have a strong kind of prayer life, people, there is um, research that couples work, that people who integrated prayer into their work with African-American couples had better outcomes in therapy than those who did not. And so we know that, you know, in case we needed a study to prove it, that prayer has an impact. It's just to also say that's not all there is that God has given us um, in our toolbox in terms of what can provide health and healing for folks. I think that um, ministers, pastors can really also benefit from partners in the community um, that 
just kind of feel as though they have to be uh, uh, all things to all pe all things to all people. Um, I think that to partner with folks in the community, you want to have at least three professionals that I used to say are in your Rolodex. That's really dated, but basically that you have contacts for, speed dial for, um, somewhere in your phone. Uh, the first is a trusted psychiatrist. And so a psychiatrist is a professional who uh, prescribes medication, who has the ability to prescribe medication. Um, trusted one, right? There are some psychiatrists who um, may not take as much time with individuals as they need to, to fully assess, to fully get an understanding before they do the prescribing. And I would say you want to ask about that. You know, how long do you um, have your intake sessions for? How long do you see people? If it's 10 minutes, if it's 15 minutes, that's probably not the psychiatrist you're going to go with. But if it's anywhere between 30, even better, an hour that they use to kind of initially assess people, um, I would say you want to start talking to that person. Okay, well then, you know, how do you account for cultural differences? How do you account for spirituality? If you are with somebody who you can tell that they're going to respect that from the people that you refer to them, then that's going to be a good partner in the community. And when you refer people to them, you'll feel good about that. And your parishioner will pick up on the fact that you trust this. You can say, I know this person. And go with them to the first appointment even, right? So you can wait in the lobby, but some the most difficult part comes. And I think I mentioned that, that even though we have less prevalence overall of mental illness, we seek out less help. And just that handoff. To, to transfer the trust that they have in you as their minister, who they see every Sunday and they know and they love, transfer that trust to that provider by saying, let me go with you. Let me make sure you get there. Okay, let me make sure you find the place. Okay, you know, take off that added burden and help them get connected. And the same is true for um, trusted therapists. And I would say there are two types of therapists, one that specializes in family and uh, couples work, and then one that may specialize in individual work. And you can tell that oftentimes by their licensure. So um, a licensed marriage and family therapist will have specific training in working with couples and families. And then someone who is a licensed professional counselor, for instance, um, will have specialty working with individuals. So that category. The last one I'll just mention is a psychologist. And if you can find a trusted provider to refer to um, as this, they can do testing for you, whether that be for um, things like personality tests, cognitive um, uh, uh, tests, if there's any uh, cognitive disabilities. Um, they can do testing to give people information about what's going on that can be very useful as well. So I think all of these things in terms of partnerships, I think in terms of providing spiritual resources such as prayer is so important. We are not discounting the power of spiritual um, uh, 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 commitment and disciplines and connection, um, but I think it's a both and, and I think pastors would do well to, to make sure they're doing both. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, pastors specifically should maybe take some training um, for counseling since they see so many people? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, some introductory, some basic training is really, really key. Um, I, I know that lots of folks, if, um, if they have an MDiv, they've taken introduction to pastoral care. That I would highly recommend. Um, if you don't get the full MDiv, just 
take that class, you know, you know, for credit, audit it, what have you, take that class. That will give a good introductory introduction to some of these things. The other is a national program. It's called um, Mental Health First Aid. And you can Google or you can actually type in mentalhealthfirstaid.org and you can find a training near you. Um, this is a wonderful introductory training that lets pastors, ministers, laypersons of all sorts who work in um, various healthcare fields know the signs, right? What are the signs we should be looking for where something's um, not quite right, where somebody needs some additional help than what I can provide? Um, and then, of course, it will let you know what you can do to initially address that, that crisis if you're the first person or to, again, get them referred to somebody who can, uh, to, who can help them. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's awesome to have that resource and be able to, like you said, relieve yourself of the pressure of trying to be all things to all men. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. that can be, that can really, really weigh a leader down and uh, shorten their lifespan. Absolutely. Absolutely. The mental health of the minister matters too, right? Um, you know, as ministers, we are people too. We've got to take care of ourselves. And that is, the, that is a huge issue. Um, burnt, clergy burnout, um, clergy mental health, it's all impacted by the way we also set know our limits and, and, and use our partners. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of uh, clergy are now um, actively getting, uh, having a scheduled routine with a, uh, a counselor to kind of unwind uh, all the stuff that they take in. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that something you encourage your students to do? as well once they are if they're lead pastors or senior pastors i do i am a living testimony i tell as many people as i can that i have had wonderful counseling experiences over the course of my life and so we i readily make that um to our ministers but also um we have counseling degrees here at cts and our counselors are actually required to have their own personal therapy how about that it is a requirement. Um, and so, because we recognize that in a lot of the um, healing and health ministries, you know, we've just got to, we have to take ownership of our own stuff first um, in order to not put that baggage onto somebody else. We've got to be um, aware of what's going on with us so that we can differentiate and be healthy. Um, and so, that's worked really well with our therapists here. They may have a little resistance at first, but at the end, they are always uh, citing that as one of the things that was most beneficial to them throughout their program. Mm -hmm. What are what are the resources that you would recommend books um, for uh, clergy and then those for just parishioners as well? Yeah, so I think one book that I think is helpful for clergy and parishioners uh, is it's really a series, but it's called the RAP program, and it's an acronym that stands for wellness uh, recovery action plan. I have a little example here, um, but this is one that it's for families. It can also be used in congregational settings. The author is Mary Ellen Copeland, and she has a whole series. You can Google RAP, um, W-R-A-P, and you will get several workbooks, workshop options, and things like that. So the, what this does is it provides people with a way of um, organizing support 
uh, and that could be community support through the church, their family support, um, what to look for if they're dealing with a mental illness. They can participate, have a sense of agency of letting their community know what to look for if I need help, what to do if you see this, if, um, you know, how they can have their own um, ownership of what they need to do on a daily basis to remain well. And so I found that to be really helpful for folks. Um, the other thing is that I would just equip, equip your viewers with a few really reputable hotlines. And so if folks are wondering kind of who to call if they're encountering crisis, there is a, um, there's a suicide prevention hotline. It's a national line, and that number is 1-800-738255. And this is a great line if you, again, are a first responder with somebody who's um, thinking about hurting themselves, or if you yourself are having those thoughts, this is a wonderful resource. The other is um, the National Alliance of mental illness, on mental illness. It's called NAMI, an acronym. These groups are really wonderful for um, setting up within churches. A lot of times they need you already, but sometimes you can host these meetings. And it's a, um, a peer support group that is really helpful. Um, there's a hotline to kind of help you identify one of those, those sites or to be able to kind of establish that at your church. And that number is 1-800-273. 8255. Um, and the third one that I'll mention is a treatment referral helpline. And this helpline is, again, it's a national uh, SAMHSA sponsored helpline. And that's 1877-64727. So if you're looking for a place to start with um, identifying who are your local providers that you can partner with in order to provide services, this is a great place to start identify those. Would that line also help? Because I know one of the major obstacles when I, one of the different people I talk to about this issue is them not being able to afford it. Would those lines also help partner them with people who may be, offer free services or see if their insurance will accept it? Yes, that is a very common barrier, unfortunately for mental health services is affordability and access. And um, I think that the referral hotline will and should have a variety of resources in your area. A lot of times there are people who provide sliding scales, um, sliding scale fee based on income. Um, that's uh, what I've seen is that with private practices, you have the ability to have um, your own say about what you charge. Now, given that, if you've got insurance, and this is something that I think is just a practical piece uh, for pastors and for individuals, is that you can start with calling your insurance and asking who's in network. Because I do think it's frustrating when you kind of you kind of identify a provider, but they don't they're not in network. They don't take your insurance and all this. So I do think starting with who's in network would give you the best rate for your insurance. Um, then you reminded me, but Psychology Today is also a national database online. If you Google Psychology Today, and it's find their find the therapist, find the therapist portal helps you to both review, also their their rates, their session rates. Um, we're really blessed here at the Counseling Center, um, Christian Theological Seminary. We can provide very affordable rates because we're a training center. And so that's in Indianapolis. If there are similar um, educational institutions that are training centers, there may be some similar uh, resources and help with affordability there. 
Yeah, and it, you, uh, I was shocked that um, at my school, in grad school, they offered a licensed therapist for free for, I think it was like six sessions, which was how I was able to take advantage of that <laughs> as a struggling, uh, uh, poor seminary student. Um, but, you know, you yeah. find that your school will offer it too. That is a great resource. That's a great, yeah, a great suggestion to check out if you're a student, what your student benefits, so to speak, already um, provide for you. What uh, what would you like to share with our audience that we may haven't have had haven't had the opportunity to discuss uh, yeah. yet, or would you like to leave with us? Sure. Well, I think that there is this. Um, I think there's this piece about, uh, you know, when it comes to mental illness and who suffers from it, I, I just want to bring it home a little bit. Um, I just want to say, I know that I said it earlier, uh, that one in five people uh, suffer with mental illness each year. So that's, that's a lot of us. And it means that in our churches, on any given pew, be someone who is suffering. And we really just don't want them to suffer in silence. I think that's where um, I think churches can have a really powerful role that if you're a preacher, if you're a pastor, if you're a minister, you know, you're doing, you're having this platform right now, Lisa, which is wonderful to say, it's okay, right? There is help. It's good news, right? We need to be preaching and proclaiming. There is, there is help. You don't have to suffer alone. And I think that um, from the pulpit, these are powerful messages messages to say to parishioners that, um, that that help them know that they don't have to just suffer in silence. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, if, if it's not you on that year, it could be you on another year. And so we've got to take care of ourselves, right? We've got to be able to say, and especially as leaders, um, that we start with ourselves too, that we set an example for caring for our mental health, our, our overall health for those, the for our parishioners as well. So we kind of got to uh, walk the walk as well. That's awesome. How will people get in contact with you uh, if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing? Um, how how what would be the best way to get in contact with you? The best way is by email, and that email address is cdavis at cts.edu. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Davis. This has been a great time. I think this actually was our conversation. Uh, this time was actually better than the last that time. Good. That worked Probably out. Probably because I can hear you, uh, hear you a little bit better this time. Good, good, good. Thank you for being uh, willing to uh, do it again. Uh, technology kind of has created obstacles. So thank you so much. Sure, sure. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jude 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.